You're listening to the Save the Marriage Podcast. Your marriage can be saved and strengthened if you have the right information. Join Dr. Lee Bauckham as he explores ways for you to improve your relationship and your life, starting right now. Hey, this is Lee Bauckham, and we're well into the new year, and this is another episode of the Save the Marriage Podcast. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're listening. I'm sitting here along with my big dog, uh, back to talk with you some more. Sonny's right beside me, so if you hear a little heavy breathing or a little snoring, you'll know that that's my 105-pound yellow lab that uh, likes to be cuddled right up against me, especially in the cold. Uh, so he's by my side as we continue to forge ahead on efforts to save your marriage. Now, last week was a holiday week, and I didn't do a podcast. Instead, I wrote an article, and that article gave some resolutions for how to work on saving your marriage. If you if you uh, subscribe to this on iTunes, then you may not have seen that article, but you can find it very easily just by going to my blog. That's at savethemarriageblog.com, savethemarriageblog.com. We'll get you right there, and then you'll see what I'm talking about. You'll see that I have five different uh, resolutions that I suggest you make in your effort to save your marriage. Well, pretty quickly after I put that out, it got a pretty big response. Uh, In fact, a a pretty substantial number of people went and read those resolutions. Hopefully, um, you're taking advantage of those if you read them and you've actually implemented, implemented those resolutions. But the number one resolution was to forgive more. I listed five things to do into the new year, and that was the number one, is to forgive more. And while it was aimed at marriage, it wasn't just about marriage. To me, forgiveness is is a frame of going through life. That's my opinion. What I heard back from people is uh, a few people were angry with me. I got some people who said, how dare you tell me to forgive somebody? I can't just let them off the hook like that. A few people said, uh, well, I would love to forgive, but they haven't asked for forgiveness. I had a few people who told me that they had nothing they needed to forgive, that what the person had done had proven the point and they were not going to forgive. They were going to hold on to that. They were going to remind themselves of what had happened and move through that. I had one email from Bob. Bob told me that He didn't know how he could possibly forgive the fact that his wife had had an affair. He didn't know how he could possibly forgive the fact that she had betrayed their marriage, all the while portraying herself as the model wife. Now, I understand those feelings, but they completely missed the point of that resolution. You see, there's a piece of us that tends to get stuck in this forgiveness trap. And so I wanted to spend a little bit more time teasing that apart in this podcast about what forgiveness is about and how you go about it. In fact, how you go through six different steps that are going to get you to the place of forgiveness. But you've got to decide you want to forgive before you get there. And that's where we're faced with a problem, where we have have come to misunderstand in very fundamental ways this forgiveness process. When I was a child, my older brother and I got into our fair share of spats. And I remember oftentimes having our father's fairly uh, strong (laughs) and uh, very uh, eager hands on each of our shoulders, kind of by the scruff of our necks, holding us face to face and making us apologize to each other. And so, you know, we'd have to say, oh, I'm sorry. And the other person say, I forgive you. And the other person say, oh, I'm sorry, too. And I forgive you. Well, we didn't feel it. 
And what we learn from that is something that we all have tended to learn in this culture, that forgiveness is somehow related to the other person. And that one way we can control what happens in our lives is to choose when we're going to forgive and not forgive. And so this is the place where I think we've made a a tremendous disservice to certainly to our children, to ourselves, to everyone in this culture when we make forgiveness something that is for the other person. The heart of forgiving is letting go of the pain, not letting the other person off the hook, but letting go of pain. Now, that doesn't mean it's an instant fix. It's not like you say, oh, you know what? I forgive you and I'm all good. The pain stays for a bit, but healing can come into the space that's created when you commit to forgiving. Here's what generally happens when we don't find a path of forgiveness. First, something happens that hurts us. That hurts kind of the initial injury. And then the anger comes in from that hurt. Anger is what happens when the, re- the hurt is unresolved. And if the anger is unresolved, it leads to resentment. Resentment is just simply anger that has stuck in the system. I like to think of it kind of like an accident, right? So something happens, you get hit, it injures you. The anger is kind of you know the big red welt that shows on the outside. It doesn't show the pain that you feel, but it shows this mark where that injury happened. That's the kind of the anger. And then if that, that is left to, to not heal, the resentment is kind of like the infection from that injury. Anger is the initial bodily response of, of inflammation and ridness and, and maybe some bleeding and all that kind of stuff. And then the resentment is more like the infection that gets in and starts to spread. And when it spreads, it begins to be deadly. Resentment left long enough leads to disdain. And disdain is when we make the other person the enemy, not just that we're angry with them, not just that we're seething with that underneath anger, but that we begin to see them as being fundamentally flawed, that they're malicious people, that they're nasty people, that they're the victim or that they're the evil person on the other side and that we're the victim. And that's when we begin to find ourselves in trouble. When you don't forgive, you leave yourself as the victim in the story. Now, there is another option, and that's to say, what's my responsibility? What is my ability to respond? That's what I mean when I use the word responsibility. That was another one that I got a few emails about of people saying, oh, so this is my fault, right? When I say to be 100% responsible in your life, It's to understand that you have 100% control of your response. You're able to respond. That's responsibility. And, And when we confuse that with blame, then we're stuck at another place. Responsibility has nothing to do with blame or fault. It has to do with realizing that you have a place to play in any interaction. So when we're stuck in the victim mode, which is what happens when we say, I'm not going to forgive. And this is the irony. We often walk into refusing to forgive, thinking that we are making the other person to be held responsible. But what we're really doing is isolating ourselves into the role of being a victim. When we are blaming others, we keep ourselves stuck as the victim of our own story. Because the other person is usually 
either unaware or unaffected by that. They're going on and on and on, completely uh, sidestepping whatever's being thrown out their way with our mental holding on to the pain. When we blame ourselves, right, that's the other thing we often do is instead of saying, what's my responsibility, we either blame the other person or blame ourselves. And when we blame ourselves, it keeps us stuck as less than, as undeserving, as once again a victim. So when we say, you know, I shouldn't have left myself open for that, all that does is keep us still stuck in that victim place. You shouldn't have done that to me, leaves me a victim. I shouldn't have left myself open to that, leaves me a victim. Unless I then say, what am I going to do next? How am I going to respond to this situation? So what really is happening in the forgiveness process is that we're moving from enemy to empathy. And that is the part that I really want to kind of push on in this is that the danger of saying I'm not going to forgive is that you make the other person the enemy in ways that make it impossible to move forward, not just in the relationship, but in any other way. So here are a couple of places where we get stuck. People say, well, you'd, so you're telling me to forgive and forget. Absolutely not. I'm not saying to forget first because that is virtually impossible lacking a good case of amnesia, you're going to remember. Forgiveness is sometimes about remembering it differently, not remembering it as if it didn't happen. That's denial. But understanding some other dynamics in place, understanding some places where we were in that, that arena also, that we're not just victims of it, that we are part of the process, and that the other person is not just the enemy, not just evil, but is also fully human just like we are. When we choose not to forgive, in some ways we give an inordinate amount of strength and power to that other person. They have the capacity of, of wounding us so badly that it leaves us forever stuck to that story. And so whether you want to reconcile with someone or whether you want to always stay away from them, the end result is to, to do either. You still are at the point of forgiving, of moving forward and seeing them as someone who doesn't have power. I said recently to someone who kept telling me how uh, they, they were holding on to the situation in their life that they continue to allow that person to live within their life even though they'd cut them off years before. That person continued to stay an active part of their life even though they had not had contact for over 20 years. So forgiveness lets them get the person out of their life if necessary or allows them to restore a relationship if possible. Okay, so how do you move from seeing the other person as enemy to having empathy? Because that really is one of the major shifts that have to happen in order for there to be the beginning of forgiveness. You have to be able to move from enemy to empathy. So how do you do that? One person is one way is to acknowledge that the other person is not your true enemy. You know, we often create scenarios where we have this good, the good and bad forces in our lives and, and, and we see evilness in other people. And what we fail to see is that people generally are acting to help themselves not primarily to hurt other people. Notice that distinction. People are out 
to help themselves, to somehow preserve their self-image or their standing in society or, or whatever else may be going on. They're, they're trying to preserve a part of themselves. Inadvertently, that may cause hurt for another person. So let me just for a moment tread on some pretty thin ice. Let's say that there has been infidelity in a relationship. It's very easy to just talk about that a spouse as as being corrupt and you know as as being horrible and as being mistreating to the relationship and unfair to the vows and making them into a very evil person or you can say wow what was going on within them what was there within them that they were trying to find some some place of connection with another person or maybe they were trying to deal with an addictive thought process in their life what if they were not evil, but they were ordinary people that have ordinary human foibles, shortcomings, and failings? What if instead of seeing them as being the evil person that it's easy to turn them into, they're seen as somebody who made a horrible error, likely because something was going on within them? It would be much easier to paint a story of good and evil, but it would also not be as nuanced as our own lives. There is this thing that we all carry around, which is the attribution error, and it's a very important fact that has been noted by religion for many years. The attribution error says that if you make a mistake, there is a character flaw within you. But if I do something wrong, it's simply a mistake. We might do the exact same thing wrong, but when I look at you, it's because something is wrong with you. And when I look at me, it's because I made a simple mistake that's easy to understand in the context of my life. In other words, we let ourselves off the hook and hold other people accountable. One of the, the often quoted pieces uh, from the Bible is that before we look at the speck in our neighbor's eye, we better look at the plank in our own eye. And that's the attribution error. It's easy to, to hold someone accountable some, for something they've done in their life that we would understand and set aside in our own life. And so when we want to start the process of forgiveness – Step one is to see the other person as a human, to see the other person not as a somehow as above us, you know, superhuman uh, on a pedestal that now they've made a mistake. That's one error. Another error is to see them as being a horrible person that is the, the kind of the, the slime of the earth. In reality, they're human, making human errors, doing things that we wish they hadn't done but probably mostly for their own good, not out to get us. And that begins to shift the equation away from us taking it so personally. So step number one is see the other person as a human, foibles and all, likely to make this error and many other errors. Now step number two is a decision. It's a decision to forgive. When you decide to forgive, you reclaim your personal power. Because see, if you say, I cannot forgive, you've given up control of your life. You've given up control of your capacities. You've given up control while pretending that you are in control. If you cannot forgive, 
You can see that as, see, I'm holding this as a self-righteous place, but in reality, all you've done is give up control to that event and that person rather than saying, I'm going to take back my own power. Step number two is to decide to forgive. Notice there's a decision, there's a difference between that decision and when it finally pans out. Forgiveness is a process. It's not a moment in time, but it begins with a decision. So you make the decision that you're going to forgive. That doesn't instantly take away all of the pain. It doesn't instantly take away all of the hurts and frustrations. But it begins a process of healing in your life. Which leads us to step number three. When those memories come back up, when you think of that person, when you think of that event, breathe through the memories and the thoughts. When I say breathe through, that is when you do the belly breathing that I've talked about before. If you're not familiar with belly breathing, it's the same that they teach in meditation and yoga and martial arts and in lots of other places of how you you calm yourself down by belly breathing. If you want to discover how to do it, the easiest thing is to lie down on the floor, lie down on a bed, put a hand over your belly button and a hand over your chest bone, your, your breast bone, and work until the only hand that moves while you're breathing is the hand over your belly button. It's easier when you're lying down because it's just easier to see which hand is moving. Once you figure it out lying down, you can do it whether you're walking or sitting or standing or driving or you know, lying down, and you belly breathe. Deep, slow breaths in and out. What that does is it, it lets your brain know that everything's okay. Those memories are going to be there. The pain is going to, you're going to feel it for a moment. But what we're trying to do with that process is to let the grief pass. Let the pain pass through our bodies. Not try to stay away from it, but not to hold on to it. What we tend to do is when we have those thoughts, we we entertain it. I love that 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 my brain image, that, that mind image of entertaining a thought because it's kind of like we're taking it out and, you know, we're doing a little juggling with it and we're playing with it and turning around looking at it and, and we're playing with it. We're interacting with it. And all that does is it keeps our body in a, an alert and angry and frustrated place. If we have a memory and remind ourselves to breathe through that, we're letting that memory pass which is what it needs to do. We're letting it pass and we're moving forward. There's no need to sit there and try to process through a, a, a thought. Notice how often we humans like to try to figure out what was that about? Why did they do that? What were they meaning? Instead of just saying, you know what? I don't know and I'm not going to get wrapped up into that. When I was sitting in my office every day, all day, talking with people, one of my clear delineations was that we were not going to talk about why, why this happened, why that person did this, why this is going on, because it was useless. It was just a way of of playing with our thoughts, of acting as if we could find some control, if we could just find the motivation behind it, instead of acknowledging that sometimes things just happen and people just do things and we don't need to tease them apart. So you don't have to process or pick apart those thoughts because guess what? You won't. You won't get it right because you don't know what's going on in that other person's mind and you won't make any progress. You'll stay stuck in your pain 
for as long as you decide that you're going to process that thought. As long as you decide you're going to hang on to it, it will stay. So you breathe through it and let it, let it, instead of resisting it or forcing it, you let it pass. You let the pain pass through your body. Acknowledge the pain that it causes you. Acknowledge that it can even feel physically painful. But as you breathe through it, it will dissipate from your body because it has a chance to actually process like it's supposed to instead of getting stuck like it's not supposed to. We're not designed at our best to hold on to those things. At our worst, when we are working from that place of threat, we do that. But from our higher place of forgiveness and acceptance, which is, I think, what we're naturally able to do, we, we don't need to hold on to those and keep processing them. So step number four is to – I'm sorry, step number three is to breathe through the memories and let them pass. Don't try to force them out, but don't try to play with them. Just let them pass. Step number four is to accept the lessons from the incident, but allow the hurt to evaporate. There are always lessons in pain. We don't want that. But that's the fact of life. How we always grow is through uh, trying times and difficulties. That's how we're designed to grow. Let me say that more carefully. The lessons are always in the adversity. How we most grow is based in how we take on adversity. I want you to think back for a minute about the places where you learn the most about your life and learn the most about how you want to be and grow in the world. It's almost always as a result of adversity. Now, there is a choice. Adversity can come and we will either learn and grow or we will fall into a victim mode. And so part of this learning is to learn the growth. When we see ourselves as a victim after the adversity. We haven't truly learned any lesson. We've only accepted a lesson of of lack and of, of danger, not of growth and possibility. But when we face adversity and painful events and say, how do I grow from this in positive ways? What do I learn from this? How do I learn more empathy? How do I learn more about myself? How do I learn more about other people around me? Then we capitalize on that adversity and we say, okay, I've learned a lesson from this. Now, sometimes forgiveness teaches us the lesson of the people we need to stay away from, the people who are dangerous to us. And that's an okay lesson as long as we don't spread it to everyone. We have to make sure that that is really a fair lesson to be learned from that event. Okay, step number five is where it gets really, really painful. Step number five is is to accept your role and use that as another point or a potential for change and growth. What role did you play, whether it was not looking at the signs coming towards you or not responding in ways that would have set up clear and appropriate boundaries, but what was it that you played in that process? Here is the tough thing. We all play a role in the story of our own lives, even when things happen to us of which we have no control and have not caused, we still have a role. This is not about fault. This is not about how did I cause this to happen. But what role did you have? 
For instance, let's re- return to a common one for marriages. Let's talk about infidelity. What I say about infidelity is that infidelity is, with the exception of addictive um, uh, approaches. In other words, somebody might have an addiction to either sex or to relationships. So you set that aside as, as an area where people may act out because of their own illness. But when I'm really looking at the typical affair, it comes out of a disconnected relationship. Now, the person who committed the affair is fully 100% responsible for the actions, for the actions they took out of that. But both people are responsible for having been in a disconnected relationship. It takes two people to stay in a disconnected relationship. And so when somebody has cheated, the person who was cheated upon has to say, what role did I play in the backdrop of that? Not in them going and committing that because there's always another alternative to have committed it. But what role did I play in being a part of a disconnected relationship? I know this is a, a hard one to, to kind of grasp, and, and this is one that's particularly tough if something is, is, is feels so wrong that you want to hold on to it. Then I'm asking you to step back and say, what was my role in that process? Where was I? I was, I was talking with somebody, and they were telling me this long story about a painful uh, breakup with a girlfriend. And the story went on and on about this painful breakup and how the girlfriend had done him wrong. And it was like listening to a country western song, and the girlfriend had done him wrong and done him dirty and, and cheated on him and, and could not believe it. When I finally said, so tell me where your role in that was, he resisted and resisted. I said, no, go back and tell me the whole story again, but this time all the places where you had a role in it. Well, there was one place that he had a big role. They had already been having problems, which he had buried his head in the sand about. And he went back and he said, oh, it wasn't about the cheating, but wow, I should have seen the signs here, and I, I could have taken action here, and I let it slide here, and suddenly he was aware of where he fit in a dysfunctional relationship that he had blamed on her as the victim over and over. He was the victim in that whole scenario until he began to realize he had a role in the process. It wasn't his fault that she had gone out and cheated on him. But he had been in a relationship with someone who was not going to treat him well and had stuck into there. That's learning the lesson and accepting your role. Step number six is to reinforce your choice to forgive. You have to keep reminding yourself, I want to forgive, I want to forgive, because our primitive brain doesn't want us to forgive. Our primitive brain is used to looking for threats, and one way of holding on to threats is by reminding ourselves of what seems like a threat. Better safe than sorry is that primitive brain. And so that primitive brain keeps telling us, don't forget this. Remember this person. Remember what they did. Stay away from them. And it wants us to hold on to it and delve into it and hold tightly to it. So step number six is to reinforce your choice to forgive. Now, this is where we begin to say, But do I need to have boundaries? Do I need to either avoid this other person or do we need to create some other boundaries? How are we going to deal with this other person? Because here's the thing. Forgiveness and justice are not related. 
there is a separation between the process of forgiveness and whether there is justice or whether there is reconciliation. They are separate issues. Not forgiving keeps you stuck and does nothing to the other person. That's why we want to forgive. It does nothing to the other person to not forgive them. Justice occurs externally to you. If something happens to the other person because of what they did, it's external to the process where you can let go of the pain. There can be two different processes to that. Holding a grudge imprisons you, not the other person. Now, that's where I want to be clear about this. Forgiveness and reconciliation, two different processes. I can forgive someone and decide not to be in relationship with them. If I want to be in relationship with someone, I have to forgive the other person. Otherwise, there cannot be a reconciliation. But just because I forgive doesn't mean I have to reconcile. I use the example of Pope John Paul II when he was shot. Right After he was shot, he pretty quickly went to offer forgiveness to the person who shot him, went and visited him in his prison cell and forgave that person. And then he left the prison, and he also left the prisoner in his cell. There was not a forgiveness, come join me in the world. There was a penalty to what happened, and that's an important distinction. Forgiveness is an internal process. Reconciliation or justice are external processes that are separate from the forgiving process. That leads me to the place of asking you, if you find something you will not forgive— Why? What are you holding on to and why? What are you getting out of that? What's your fear of forgiving? Because that really is what we get. When we get down to it, a lot of people get to the place where they're ready to forgive and then something scares them about that process. So what is your fear about forgiving? And here's a tough question. What will you give up if you forgive? Often what we have to forgive up is the fact that We had some place, some role in that process, and we like to think we didn't. And we have to give up that place where we are the entire victim, that the other person is entirely at fault. So what is it that you will have to give up if you forgive? And what is threatened in your self-understanding or your understanding of the other person if you forgive? What's at risk? Okay, those are the questions I want you to pose to yourself as you're trying to figure out why you're having a hard time letting go of something. If you will not forgive, why? What is your fear? What will you give up if you forgive? And what is threatened in your self-understanding or your understanding of the other person if you forgive? Okay, so now's the time for you to maybe help me a little bit. I want to spread the word about this podcast. We've gotten good reviews, but reviews are great for us. So if you are subscribing through iTunes, please, or Stitcher or some other application, please go and leave us a review in the app. Let people know. Give us some stars or or let people know in writing what you think of this and, and let us spread the word about this. Also, if you want to talk about some things that you might want to hear about, you can talk to me. Two ways. You can leave a comment on the blog. Remember, you get to the blog at savethemarriageblog.com if you're not listening from the blog. Savethemarriageblog.com. Or you can email uh, me at podcast at savethemarriage.com. That's podcast at savethemarriage.com. Now, notice that that's 
me wanting to hear about the podcast and you telling me what might be helpful in the podcast. This is not a place to kind of try to get some therapy from me or coaching from me. We have other ways of doing that. This is really about the podcast. What would you like to hear about? Also, if you want a little more help, you can always grab my Kindle book. It's at savethemarriage.com slash Kindle. If you've got a Kindle e-reader or an iPad or a tablet or a computer or any tech- technology, any, advi- any device, you can get a Kindle book, and that's a great way of getting some pieces in there. There's even a section about forgiveness in that Kindle book. So grab that at savethemarriage.com slash Kindle. That'll get you right there on the Amazon page to order it. But let us know what you think. Let us know what would be helpful. Leave us a comment. Tell me what you think about this whole forgiveness process. And let me know what you'd like to hear about. I wish you the best. This is Lee Balkum wishing you the best as you continue to work to improve and save your marriage. You've been listening to Save the Marriage Podcast. For more information and help, please visit us at savethemarriage.com. 